0: And welcome to the Press Gallery podcast, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. This is edition 164, if you can believe it. I took my Chevy to the levy, and then my bank account was dry edition. Because <laughs> everyone loves Don McLean. But I'm not going to sing because Happy New Year, I wouldn't do that to any of you. So he, he's, he's coming here this year to he? play at the River Cree. We could have a sing-along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Emma Craney. With me today we've got uh legislative reporter Stuart Thompson. Hello. Hello, City columnist, Paul Simons. Good morning, Miss Emma. Uh standing looming in the background, we also have uh, legislative columnist Graham Thompson. He's just yelled <laughs> hello from the back of the corner <laughs> he's of the like room. Way off mic. <laughs> and the reason he's not on the mic right now is because we have a special guest. Um Special guest here on the (laughs) podcast today, Education (laughs) Reporter Janet. No, I I know your name. Hi, Janet. It's French Education Reporter. This is the first podcast of 2017. We're just still waking up. (laughs) Okay, so obviously the big thing this week, uh, the carbon tax kicked in, hence the uh, Don McLean homage there. We're also going to talk a little bit about a wrap over the knuckles for interim PC leader, Rick McIver. But we're going to start off today with a ruling that came out yesterday in the education world. It is a huge deal, uh, if you're a homeschool student in particular. Janet Give us a bit of a rundown on, on what happened yesterday. Right.
1: So yesterday, uh, the government and Wisdom Homeschooling slash Trinity Christian School Association were due in court to argue whether or not the government should have shut down that school authority, which includes one school in Cold Lake with 11 students. That's brick and mortar. And they also run uh, the biggest private homeschooling system in the province involving 3,500 students. And instead of hearing arguments, they came with an agreement uh, saying that they settled the case. And the agreement basically says that the government will continue or restore funding to this school authority and restore their accreditation in exchange for oversight. So they've agreed basically to have a babysitter
0: a babysitter a babysitter That's a great thing for a school division to have hey a, a, a it's finan- not not the first one <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: and, and as, as i understand it the babysitter only looks at financial dealings not at things like financial, whether they're following curriculum and whether they're financial
1: and government governance so they're not looking at at the quality of education at all it's how they're spending their money who makes decisions about money and who's approving the spending of Who to what. So, for example, lease agreements were an issue that the government had flagged as questionable. Um, There are people who are highly ranked in Wisdom Homeschooling who are the property owners from whom Wisdom is leasing the property at what the government says is 10 times the rate uh, for what property should be leased for in that. Of rural Alberta.
0: Now, the judge had some good words, too, I believe, something along the lines of, you're both acting like heathens. Heathens. So that was the uh, division and the education department, right?
1: Yeah. So he, he didn't really... Uh, I was not in court. I'm relying on my colleagues, Svetlana and Grand Prairie, who was in court. And she said that um, he just didn't have any time for either of them. He thought it was a waste that it went to court. The first time he admonished them for doing it in Grand Prairie at all. He's like, this belongs at Edmonton or Cold Lake or somewhere vaguely near where you are doing your business
0: why was it in grand perry? because
1: that was the first court date they could get in queen's bench and they just wanted it heard what? immediately and so oh they went over to grand perry and that's just that's just where they could get a date the, the lawyers from calgary um and so uh, so that's where they what? went so they went they went venue shopping and and, and who's 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 they in this that's is it
0: wisdom is it w- wisdom wisdom and trinity yeah because wow. they wanted to get it heard as quickly as they could. Yeah, make. because,
1: well, fair enough. I mean, they've got 3,500 yeah. kids out of school, lots of angry parents feeling displaced, so.
0: Now, what is Wisdom saying about all this?
1: Uh, very little. Um, basically, I, if you if you believe the, the... The lawyer says you're satisfied with the agreement. Um, if you look at social media, a lot of the parents are painting it as a win and it proves government overstep. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure the judge went that far. He didn't actually rule on the facts of the case. The judge just said, you're wasting taxpayers' dollars by doing this in court. One of the things that they had flagged as uh, improper or inappropriate spending of education dollars was funeral expenses, in quotes. And what the funeral expenses turned out to be was a greeting card for a family member of a teacher who had died. So the judge said, uh, I think that's a bit of an overreaction.
0: When this first happened, there was a bit of a fallout. Um, uh, David Egan was copying a lot of flack from the opposition saying, well, this is just because you hate homeschool. It's just another example of how you hate everything but public education. Is there going to be political fallout
2: here, do you think? Oh, I think so. I think definitely. And I think it's a problem because the prima facie evidence that we've seen is that wisdom was inflating salaries to a truly hellacious degree is it criminal fraud? Well, the RCMP still have an open investigation in this case, but the case to make, you know, to make out a criminal charge of fraud is very high. Were the salaries ridiculously out of alignment with what they would have been in the public sector? Oh yes, they were. And 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 the problem isn't just that people were being paid what seems to have been an inappropriate amount, but the degree of incestuousness, uh, the nepotism in in the school structure where people were employing family members and then paying them these high salaries in addition to the high lease rates. So, but if the government really has been larding the case by claiming things like sending one condolence card as funeral expenses, then the government has shot itself in the foot as well. I mean, when you're proceeding against a school division that has 3,500 kids and um, you can't be overstating your arguments, you have to be making sure that your actions are commensurate with with the degree of dysfunction. Um, You know, it is a problem if if this was really uh, on a level of criminality, the fact that they've come to an agreement and a compromise um, seems to undercut the government's own case.
3: So I I was at that first press conference when the Minister Egan got up and sort of just read us this list of infractions. And I remember that it was a very intense day because the way they kind of gave that to us in that press conference, they gave us the list of all these infractions. And I remember having to cut them from my story. Like there was like, you know, a dozen things they told us. And I remember kind of paring them down and going, what's the most important here? What's going to have to go and what's going to be in there? And That is kind of the funny thing is they didn't need to pad this at all, it seems like. If any of these things, you know, the leases, the inflated leases and the salaries, I mean, did the funeral expenses, did they really need to be thrown in there? And the sense I got from that press conference was that the government was surprised and shocked. And I think whenever you have to call in the RCMP as a government, no matter what it is, no matter what part of the government it is, your censors, your political censors are pretty high. Um, So it looks like from what the judge is saying that maybe they should have just had an administrator in the first place. They could have, because when I wrote that story, it was like 3.30 in the afternoon when they did that press conference. And there was really no way to get any kind of reaction from the homeschooling side. Like, the story just had to be written, it had to be get in the paper, and I don't know if the government did that on purpose, or if it was just the nature of when the press conference was, but I got a lot of emails saying, you know, you didn't put our side in there, the homeschooling side, you didn't talk to any parents, and I said to them, yeah, you're right, I didn't have time, and I apologize And Janet's done a really good job of pursuing that side of it, but I think we have to remember that this is a lot of students. This is thousands of students. This is a lot of parents. And I I don't think there's really, we tend to look at this like a political battle, but both sides might have screwed up pretty badly here. And who's going to feel the consequences is all these students who are in the lurch right now and could be in the lurch for even longer.
2: I don't actually oppose homeschooling. I think that done well, it's a perfectly legitimate choice for parents to make for all kinds of reasons. But that's all the more reason that it has to be administered in a credible way. And you know, I think it's a judgment in some ways, because it's not like this is the only way you can homeschool your kid. Uh, Most school boards in the province will allow you to register as a homeschool parent. Uh, Parents have sought out wisdom from all across the province. I mean, these aren't parents who live in the Cold Lake area who are signing up for wisdom. Um, uh, And in fact, the school, you know, uh, Trinity has only 11 students in its actual school building. So what people are doing is. In order to be a homeschool parent, you have to register with a board. And in some ways, that's a symbolic gesture because the idea is that, well, you have to be registered somewhere. Someone has to be providing oversight. I mean, and maybe what this all means is that we have set up a system of oversight for homeschooling that doesn't actually make any sense. And maybe it would make more sense to have one board that is the homeschooling board that is, you know, properly run and financed to provide that support for parents who choose to homeschool. I don't know, because clearly people are seeking out trinity and wisdom for particular reasons, some of which
1: may be entirely
2: um, convenience and others which are going to be religious and ideological.
1: I think that the whole thing, though, like, even though it was finances and management and governments and very, like official nuts and bolts, bureaucratic stuff that brought attention to this file, it's left me with a lot of questions about homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Um, And because, you know, we saw some reports, I don't think we covered it, but um, at the beginning about the quality of education that they're receiving. And so now it just makes, it gives me more questions to ask about, about that and how it's regulated. And one thing that I can't get an answer on um, is whether or not the uh, facilitators who, work as these teachers overseeing all the students, whether they are certified teachers. Um, And the government won't actually tell you whether or not somebody in Alberta is certified as a teacher.
2: I mean, there's a a balance to be struck here. I, I think that we need to be respectful of the rights of parents who choose as the primary educators, the first deciders for what kind of education their children should have, but I think we also have a responsibility to protect the rights of students to make sure that they're getting an education. That when they get graduate with a grade twelve diploma, that it's not a meaningless piece of paper. That when they get a grade twelve diploma, they can pass their provincial exams. They can go on to whatever post secondary training is their choice. Uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, we've we've denied those children the right to an equal education and the right to future educational and economic opportunities. So, yes, we need to be mindful of the rights of parents who for reasons of conscience or, or politics or personal choice decide to homeschool,
0: that doesn't mean that we can abrogate and abdicate our responsibility to the kids. Janet, I look forward to reading follow-up stories on this. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, mate. Thanks for having and me. And you may now you may now leave the studio and we'll get uh, we'll get Graham Thompson in. Hello Graham.
4: Good morning. None of us is a tough act to follow. Like Janet's really mm-hmm. good.
0: So let's ha- take a look at the uh, biggest thing to happen this week, I would say, in, uh, in Alberta. No one's arguing with me. Ha-ha. <laughs> the carbon tax kicked in January 1st. Uh, we're paying 4.5 cents a litre more to fill up for gasoline. Some of the prices went up on gas, buddy. Some of the prices actually went down. So I'm sure everyone has so many opinions about the carbon tax. Or levy if you're the NDP, I yeah. suppose.
3: So I had an interesting day on Wednesday when I went to the Realtors Association and took in their conference. And it was quite good because they had John Rose, the chief economist of Edmonton speaking, and he has had an interesting take on this. And he's kind of politically neutral. I don't think he really has any stake in selling it or not selling it. So he was just kind of giving the forecast of what's about to happen. And the one thing he's really looking at is consumer confidence. And there's a few factors affecting this right now. One is that very salient prices, like gas prices, ones that we pay attention to and notice all the time, are going up. And the second one is that we've had some, like, minor optimism about the economy. And that can be a good thing, but it can also to get people in back into the labor force, which means that when people start looking for jobs, they show up in those unemployment numbers. So he was saying, you know, by mid-year, we could see... In Edmonton, 7.5% unemployment, which is, it's about 67 right now. Um, so he was saying these combination of events could kind of come together and make for a really rough few months. And that's a rough few months for Albertans, but also a rough few months for the Alberta NDP because, I mean, this carbon tax, I think this is going to be the thing that defines them. So uh, it, it was an interesting speech, and it was interesting just to see maybe what, you know, we had uh, – deputy premier come out on new year's day and give a speech and say uh, don't worry guys it's going to be all right <laughs> and then yep. the following day shannon phillips the environment minister came out and said just bear with us we're going to get through this and then and then the next day
0: she came out again and then the next day which was yesterday yeah. uh, sarah hoffman came out again and then today i think shannon phillips is out today in yeah, calgary she's in calgary um, Outlining some changes, but she was uh, um, yes. You were at the
3: thing on Thursday when they were Mm -hmm. talking about the rebates, and that I think is their big thing, where they're they're saying like, well, look, this is going to cost a few bucks extra, but there's going to be money actually in your bank account, and um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays because you know some of us have said, you know, you get some money in your bank account from the government, you don't necessarily think too hard about you know, is this a balancing act for the carbon tax? It's just money that goes in. And uh, I think they're really hoping that it counterbalances it. But um, John Rose definitely brought it home to me on Wednesday how, m- how much of a tough slog this is going to be.
2: Although in some ways they really are benefiting from current circumstances, and they, I mean, the NDP government. Natural gas prices, because let remember, natural gas is also uh, affected by the carbon tax. Natural gas prices are incredibly low right now. Incredibly low compared to what they were two years ago, compared to what they were five years ago. I mean, they're a fraction of what they were back in 2008 when then energy minister Marie Smith was telling everybody to put on a sweater. So it's not like people are going to see a giant spike in their natural gas bills. I mean, there's like, you know, an arena in Calgary that said, oh, we have to turn off the heaters because the price of gas is so high. That, that That's nonsense. I mean, the price of gas was higher 18 months ago without the carbon tax than it is now. So that gives the NDP a little bit of political cover there. And even with gasoline prices at the pump, um, they're likely to be going up in the next couple of weeks because the price of oil is going up. Uh, And so right now gas prices, frankly, they were higher before the tax came in in some circumstances than they are now. Um, That may not last on the other hand, if the price of gasoline goes up, that means the price of oil went up, and that means that the NDP will have a little more political cushion in this. I mean, if, if oil hits $55, $60 a barrel, sure, we'll pay more at the pump, but that'll help That'll help balance well, not Balance the budget. It'll help reduce the degree of imbalance I'm in the budget. And, of course, politically, by having those rebate checks go out before the tax has hardly even taken effect, I mean... You know, that's a bit of political sleight of hand too. I mean, you're getting a rebate um, this week and the tax has only been in effect for 3 days. Well, you sure as heck don't deserve a $150 rebate after 3 days of paying the the carbon tax.
0: So, I mean, unless l- you filled up your car or you truck a bunch <laughs> of times, eh? So, you know, I mean, it was
2: very politically uh, canny and craven of them to start sending out the checks before you'd even spent a penny on the on the on the gas tax.
4: The thing is the rebate check is it's a way of the NDP realizes People pay attention to the small things, you know, like the, the price of gasoline. It was ninety nine cents. Now it's a dollar three point five. Um, they know people will pay attention to that, and the opposition is hammering them. But it's going back to the point that, that Paula raised: the price of oil goes up and down. You know, like that four and a half cents gets absorbed really quickly. And this is not like a, like the GST. Whenever you buy something, a GST is added on, and you know it's right there. The price of gas, the price of uh, natural gas, it's all rolled in. People will tend, I think, to to forget about this in a sense if. The economy improves, price of oil goes up, and the pipelines build. And, the, of course, the NDP, the problem with the NDP's plan right now is that we're getting the stick, but the carrot's coming later. You know, the, um we'll, we'll see in March, the um, incentives for people to maybe uh, retrofit their homes or get uh, money to help them buy a new furnace, that comes down the road. And, of course, later this year, we'll see if, in fact, a, a new pipeline actually does get under construction.
0: Right. Which is that, the, I mean, that's the big selling point, isn't it? Without this, we wouldn't have pipelines. That's the holy grail. Well, And the other
2: thing, too, that I mean, I'm guilty of this. I haven't really dealt with it in any of the columns I've written on the carbon tax so far. It's not as though if we didn't have a, a provincial carbon tax, we'd never have a carbon tax. I mean, the federal government has made it pretty plain that if this hadn't come into effect as provincial policy, eventually it would have as federal policy. So, you know, in some ways... Um, by taking this leadership role and absorbing the hit, um, you know, the NDP have taken taken one for the team, as it were. Um, so it is fascinating, though. I wrote a column this week about... Uh, this is, it's kind of a side issue. But after I wrote about the carbon tax in December... I was deluged with all of these letters and social media comments from people who said, well, it's racist because, quote unquote, Indians don't have to pay it. And so I was astonished to see the amount of racist venom being spewed on Twitter about this. And I sort of
0: drilled down. Were you really, though? It's Twitter.
2: Well, it is full of racist venom. It is full of race. Okay. I'm not, I'm not surprised that there's racist venom on Twitter. I'm surprised that there's, and I'm not surprised that there's racist venom against First Nations people in Alberta. I'm surprised that it was tied into the carbon tax.
0: Yeah, that's
2: odd. Um, but I guess I shouldn't have been because it's like a Rorschach ink block test and I think people are projecting, you know, their already existing prejudices on, onto this, this new thing. It is, in fact, true that if you are a status Indian and you live on reserve and you buy gasoline for your personal use on reserve, that you are exempt. That's not because of some NDP socialist plot. That's because under the Section 87 of the Indian Act, the provincial government doesn't have the legal authority to impose a gasoline tax on reserve. Uh, Given that most Indigenous people in Alberta live off reserve, at least 60-65% of them, and given that they still have to pay the tax um, off reserve, this is not like some kind of super spooky socialist plot you know, racially blah, 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 blah. It just isn't. But what what I thought was fascinating were the number of people who are so angry at the NDP and so angry at the carbon tax that they're prepared to believe the worst kind of race-baiting nonsense as just, you know, to provide them with some kind of moral cover to to oppose this tax.
4: And also you see a, a political bigotry here as well. Um, that people will now read into whatever happens to the economy is the NDP's fault. And we saw that last year. And if the price of oil goes up this year and and we see that an increase in gasoline prices even higher, they'll be blaming the NDP on the high cost of gasoline at the pumps for everything. And and speaking of people getting maybe overreacting, we saw, of course, the Wild Rose this week. Don McIntyre had a news conference or a follow-up news conference to Shannon Phillips. And, of course, their their take is that the NDP is destroying the economy. The carbon tax is going to be is the root of all evil. And then, of course, he then starts to stumble into... He
0: can't stop himself, can he?
4: ...climate change denial. You know, so, so when you, you, you poke him a little bit, I'm just talking as a reporter or columnist or a journalist, asking him some questions about why he's so opposed to the carbon tax... And he drilled down, and it's really because he doesn't really believe there's a need for anything on the carbon um, front because he just doesn't really believe in the signs of man-made um, climate change. Like he'll say, yes, it's been changing for thousands of years, the climate, and we may be aggravating it, but no one knows to what extent. But, of course, I pointed out that scientists say you know, it's 95% certainly that we're the ones, the main culprits are human beings. He doesn't buy that. And so it's interesting that he keeps saying the science isn't settled. And the problem is that becomes, it takes you off the track that the wild rose is on. is is, they're against the carbon tax for economic reasons. When you poke some of the um, wild rose MLAs, it turns out, they're against it because they don't believe in the science and that becomes a big issue for the World Race. And now
0: that he's and because he's the um the critic, obviously, then the NDP caucus turned around and said, Well, you should resign from your post, sir, because frankly, if you don't believe in climate change, you shouldn't be in your in your critic post. And I thought that was a really interesting, weird thing for NDP caucus <laughs> I to mean, do. I mean, I mean, <laughs> but hey, it was a slow news day, so that was fun. <laughs> I think I think it was it was ridiculous to suggest that he should
2: resign from he's in the shadow cabinet. I mean, it isn't a thing, right? I mean, you can't, you can't resign from an imaginary anyway. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's completely nonsense. But, you know, th- there, is, there is a built-in problem with this carbon tax because from the other side of things, is it virtue signaling? Sure it is. Because do we honestly think that charging 4.5 cents more for gasoline is going to do anything to stop the pace of global warming? Of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. This has got l- less to do with stopping global warming, uh, for which this will make an, an incidental degree of difference to the amount of carbon that's going into the atmosphere globally, and it's got more to do with an economic shift because the idea is tax tax the consumption of the thing that is problematic, and it's not. This is not really about what we pay at the pump or what we pay in our in our private home heating costs, this is about the big industrial emitters, this is about sharing the pain, this is about – it is virtue signaling. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But we should have no illusions about the fact that if we each drive a slightly more fuel-efficient car, that that is actually going to do anything to save any polar bears.
3: Well, I think also it is worth – because you hear this argument a lot from people saying – you know, we're only Alberta, we're only Canada, we're oh, such a tiny percentage of... Uh, but yeah. if if you look at how Rachel Notley's carbon tax has provided cover for Justin Trudeau's carbon tax and has given him a chance to do a dry run, people act like he's doing her a favor by lauding the carbon tax. But really, he's just looking out for his own political situation in a year from now. Um, but I think that's been really helpful to Trudeau to get his political situation in order. And then I think globally that also matters because when we talk about a carbon tax, we're talking about North Dakota and we're talking about China. So the global environment does matter. And I think that somebody has to go first if this is something you believe in and something you think the world has to do. And I think once the dominoes start falling, it makes it politically easier for everyone to do it.
0: We were talking about this yesterday, Stuart, down in the the press gallery. And I went and looked up some figures on – because one of the arguments Wildrose makes is that, well, you know, the problem is China. The problem is they're not doing anything. A, they are. They have the biggest wind farm in the world. They're just working out how to get it online. B, they are setting up the biggest solar farm by 2020. Also, their emissions in China are half per capita of what they are in Canada. So in Canada, in China, it's like seven point something – Per person in Canada, they, they, they do have many it's more per person. Well, it, it, that is the thing, true. But they are making steps; they are taking strides to actually address the issue. And in Australia, which we canned our carbon taxes, Brian Jean likes to point out repeatedly, carbon emissions in, in Australia are huge. It's sixteen point something per person compared with China, which is seven.
3: Jason Kenny has been sort of saying that China hasn't, doesn't have any real um, motivation to do this. But I think if you go to Beijing and you look at the sky. There's a massive political incentive to clean up that atmosphere. And that's, I think that's a real reason for why they're starting to make real progress on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, you kill off your population. You've got huge
2: problems. Well, you know, the thing is a carbon tax, in a strange way, a carbon tax is not – it is the antithesis of a socialist program in some ways. I mean it's not cap and trade. It's not some kind of social engineering. It's a market signal. Uh, this is why economists love it. This is why all kinds of you know uh, small C conservative uh, commentators and and economists are actually praising, if not perfectly, the NDP model. Um, I think they prefer the one in in British Columbia. But carbon taxes, which send you an economic price signal to conserve, and don't sort of award winners and losers in the economy, uh, can make a lot of fiscal. Sense Now, the real question is, what is the government going to do with the money that it collects? I mean, some of it's going back in rebates. Some of it is, is earmarked for green transit projects. Other things seem a little bit loosey-goosey, right? You know, well, we're going to invest it in new economies. So, you know, this always makes me think about Don Getty. Uh, this always makes me think about the danger of governments deciding that they're going to pick winners and losers in the economy. And so I'm, in some ways, considerably less worried about what I'm paying up front than I am waiting to see exactly what the NDP is going to do with the billions that it collects.
4: Going back to um, the Wild Rose and Don McIntyre, in fact, he gets an off message with his – he'll say he's not denying climate change. while well, to me, he's questioning the science of man-made climate change and his own party – is getting frustrated with him. The point is, Don McIntyre allows the NDP to attack the critics, attack the Wild Rose as being climate change deniers. So if they're, if, if they're legitimately um, questioning the carbon tax, th- this is the Wild Rose, gets attacked by the NDP as being knuckle-dragging climate change deniers. When you have people like uh, uh, David Swan, liberal leader, you have Greg Clark, leader of the Alberta Party, questioning this carbon tax, questioning the, the tax itself, questioning how it's being rolled out, Believe me, these two believe in man-made climate change. They don't believe in what this government is doing is correct. So that's the problem for the NDP when you actually have the, the progressives, if you can call them that, opposing the government's brand of climate leadership.
2: Yeah, and I think what, what Greg Clark is particularly objecting to are the, um, <laughs> the 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 strangely Tory throwback ads. You know, um, I, I I don't think anybody is super thrilled at the idea of governments spending money to – cheer themselves on i mean there's a difference between providing people with information they need about how the carbon tax and the rebates work and um you know using you know when you take your kids to the movies at christmas that you have to sit through a rah-rah government commercial i would just like to say in general i oppose all commercials at the movies and that (laughs) and that should stop and i am ecumenical um i am you know uh, uh, politically neutral on this subject no ads before the movies Only trailers
0: yeah. yeah I'm with you on that Paula I mean I,
2: I would like to Boo all the ads All
0: of them There's so, nothing you know. stopping you Okay Free free speech Important Tenant You know, I, I agree
4: It's annoying isn't it You go in there And there's an ad For Coca-Cola Or whatever like, I used to try And time it So I got there After the ads yeah. <laughs> but Before the movie And if you get it That wrong Then you're <laughs> then you're You miss the beginning Of the
3: movie You get a bad seat too Yeah, yeah really That's bad. true
0: Now that we've discussed the, the ever so fun Carbon tax Let's move over To Rick McIver Who was wrapped Over the knuckles By the ethics commissioner This week He was the first. MLA ever, according to the NDP, to get a fine from the Ethics Commissioner over something that he did. Now, what he did was basically get up, and uh, after the NDP had said there's going to be an electricity price cap, um, he said this was a terrible idea because it would make Albertan electricity retails somewhere that no one wants to invest because you're you are putting an artificial price cap on there. Now, the problem, Graham, what is the problem with the fact he was arguing against this uh, this price cap?
4: His wife has a small company in in Calgary Mm -hmm. that deals with uh, electricity. And so the NDP seized on this. Heather Sweet, NDP MLA, went to the Ethics Commissioner and said, there's something wrong here. You've got McIver arguing in favour of his own points of view, hoping to influence government um, policy when this may actually help his wife financially and of course he's married to her therefore it's going to help him financially
2: so it's an interesting question because according to the ethics commissioner McIver uh, may you know you have to report all of your potential conflicts of interest at the beginning of this of you know of your tenure and he had in fact reported that his wife had this business she makes very little money from it so she's not it's not like she's it's not like she's mrs Epcor um, you know <laughs>
0: It's 10,000 a year, yeah. That's
2: right. If she were Mrs. Epcor, I'm guessing Mr. McIver would, you know, be on his motorcycle tooling around Mexico right now instead of <laughs> instead of slogging it out as interim leader of the third party. But, but, but that's where I think this gets a bit murky because he is not a cabinet minister. I mean, if he were a cabinet minister making electricity policy, then I think the conflict of interest is far more problematic um, as the acting leader of the third party, he, the degree of influence that he brings to government electricity policy is uh, largely illusory. So, you know, is he in a conflict of interest? Yes. So I think, you know, given the degree of the foul, I think the $500 fine is largely symbolic. Um, and, and what uh, Marguerite trustler the ethics commissioner, said is that, you know, when he made his comments in the House, he wasn't doing it out of of economic self-interest but political self-interest and so you know yes he's in violation but it's sort of a de minimis uh, breach.
3: And I I think I was the reporter who informed the PC communications person that this was happening and (laughs) that's always a weird moment when you're a reporter and they're like "Ah, (laughs) let me get back to you on that one Um, but I think they were genuinely flabbergasted by this. I think I agree with the ethics commissioner that there wasn't any real Uh, they weren't trying I don't think McIra was trying to uh, influence anything he just was trying to score points Um, but I mean 500 bucks that's two and a half years of carbon tax right there so (laughs) it's it's nothing to sneeze at Uh, I mean I mean if I (laughs) got
0: oh Stuart
3: And I did actually, we scrummed at McIver that day, and I, I remember that scrum. He seemed pretty shocked by the whole thing. It, it was Oh, I mean, when inter- he was being
0: investigated? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because I spoke with him um, when he got the fine, and he said, uh, this was a couple of days ago, and he was like, well, you know, I accept it. What else can I do? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was surprised, but my opinion is worth less than, you know,
4: less yeah. than the commissioners. It's and- interesting to see over the years investigations into pc cabinet ministers including one premier called Ralph Klein on ethical uh, violations and they always <laughs> got off basically yeah. and now we have the ndp in power and they had to take the hammer to a pc opposition
2: margaret Trussler has a pretty stellar reputation as a straight up straight shooter um, i don't think oh, that I'm, I'm, i am mean, not, I, I'm
4: not I, questioning her integrity i'm just I'm, my point is that maybe in the past, the commissioners we had in the past have been a lot harder on the PC government.
2: When they were actually in power doing things. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, but I don't think Trussler is carrying water for, for the NDP. I mean, I think that she would, you know, I have a lot of respect for her from her time as a judge before she became ethics commissioner. Uh, but I think Graham's right. We've had some pretty weak ethics commissioners well, in the yeah, past. Yes. Yeah, so the point I is, mean, yes. if,
4: if Trussler is, the, is the, uh, the, uh, the measure, which is fine, then you go, if you went backwards – we should have really then took the hammer to uh, PC ministers, including um, Ralph Klein, back in the day of uh, Multicorp, wasn't
0: multicorp, it? Indeed. Yes. Multicorp,
4: indeed. Uh, multicorp? We won't get into <laughs> that it. That sounds like <laughs> that a made-up
0: word, doesn't it? It sounds like something in Archer. People out there who know what we're uh, talking multicorp. about. Ah, Multicorp. What does Multicorp deal with multiple things? <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, so let's uh, just briefly now um, move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery. Stuart, do you have anything for us this week?
3: Uh, Yeah, there was a a fantastic New York Times piece about um, Obama's progression on the Afghanistan War. And I remember you remember when he came in, that was the Good War, and he was going to get America out of Iraq. And this kind of traces the change in thinking on Afghanistan from the Good War to what they now actually in the administration call the Good Enough War. Uh, It's a fantastic read.
2: Paula? Having spent most of the week reading Trump stuff and not wishing to inflict such torture on anyone else. I'm going to recommend a very, very different piece, a beautiful piece from The Guardian about, um, I know this sounds strange, but about urbanization in Mongolia. Uh, It is an absolutely gorgeously photographed, videoed uh, package of story about uh, the fact that the combination of the collapse of communism and climate change are pushing Mongolian herders into Ulaanbaatar. And it's about the death of a way of life, it's about uh, the Uh, problems caused by rapid urbanization. And it's about the debate over to what extent climate change is factoring into this mass migration. And it has the most beautiful photographs. Uh, I had a friend who traveled in that part of the world and said it's the only place she's ever been that reminded her of Alberta because it has such similar topography and the color of the sky. And anyway, it's, it's an absolutely sumptuous story about
0: Um, issues that should matter to us here? Um, I watched a documentary last night called Very British Problems and it was really, really cute, very funny. And as particularly as an immigrant, as someone who's lived in the UK, I'm Australian, and now I live in Canada. So I've gotten to kind of see how the Dominions all differ, but how they are all kind of the same. The part on uh, how British people say sorry all the time really reminded me of you beautiful Canadians who do it as well. Sorry, guys, you do it all the time. Um, <laughs> anyway, I loved it. It was just a cute little watch. Nothing political at all, just uh, really adorable. Graham?
4: Well, I'm sorry to say I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, my good readers about uh climate change. <clears throat> this is a new report came out this this week from Berkeley, and they 're reviewing data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, about a year like two thousand and fifteen n o a a said there had been no pause in global warming the gl- it keeps it continues the opposition in, in the Republicans got on it in the u s accused these scientists of being you know, corrupt and fudging the figures. While well, the figures were reviewed and a report from Berkeley said NOAA got it right. That there's been no pause on global warming. It's continuing, it's a problem, it's man made no matter what Don McIntyre says. And they don't don't actually mention Don McIntyre in the article. <laughs>
0: That's surprising, Graham.
4: Uh, But anyway, so there's articles out there. Uh, One is Huffington Post, an OA scientist didn't cook the books on climate change study finds.
0: Thank you, Graham, for that. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining me for the first press gallery back for 2017. I look forward to another year of political shenanigans and covering it from this beautiful studio at the downtown (laughs) Edmonton Journal office. Uh, I'm your host, Emma Graney. Thank you, Stuart, Paula, and Graham for joining me. And And, Janet. uh, Oh, and Janet, yes. see in not in front of And also Ian as well. Thanks for being here to film, film a portion of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all of the past episodes of the Press Gallery podcast. You can also subscribe to our SoundCloud channel, um, iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio as well. So we hope you join us here again this time next week at the Press Gallery.